0: So we've arrived at a new point, a point where we have enough episodes that we can re-air an old episode and still have it be fresh. I guess that is the definition of an evergreen content, but also it's kind of a testament to just how long we've been going at this that we can have content that even could qualify as evergreen. 111 episodes in to this podcast, to this effort about talking all about Criterium Racing, we can go back to the 23rd episode, which was released March 3 of 2020. And it featured one of our favorite photographers from the entire bike racing panoply of photographers, Bruce Buckley. March 3, 2020, think of that. That is before COVID was a reality. It was a week or so before COVID was a thing. How much have we all changed in the three years since March 3 of 2020? How young, how naive, how innocent, how unsophisticated were we when it came to Zoom meetings and working from home and all of those things that we now take basically for granted. But how much are we still the same? In 2020, photography was the medium by which we shared information about bike racing. Results were attached to photos. Results were the basis of the stories that were printed. American bike racing has always been based around photography being the means by which we shared and educated the public about what has happened and what will happen in the future. If you were to have asked me, however, three years ago, would photography still be the central and most important way by which information about bike racing was shared in the United States, I would have told you absolutely not. Not a chance in this world would photography still be the thing. That you would go to to talk about what happened in the races that took place over the weekend. Live streams were coming, broadcasts were coming, the Drive to Survive series was coming, ESPN was coming to bike racing. In three years, that has not panned out. Live streams have gotten better, for sure. Are they ubiquitous? Absolutely not. 2023 saw a decrease and will continue to see a decrease in the number of live streams of major American criteriums over 2022. Photography is what remains. With the rise of social media, of Twitter, of Instagram, of even TikTok, photography and photographers are the way that we will spread further the words and the gospel of bike racing and criterium racing in the United States which is why when I share photos on the podcast's Instagram account, I do go out of my way to make sure that I know who the photographer was who took that picture and that I tag him or her in it. In the last three years, this podcast has relied and grown only because of the photographers that have helped us not just bruce buckley he obviously was the first one there whose photos from arlington from clarendon from armed forces from a lot of different races were the sh- photos that launched this show we also had work with bill shakin from time to time another wide angle podium contributor from cx hairs Nathan and Morley, a.k.a. Snowy Mountain, you've seen a thousand pictures that they have taken on our podcast. It has been such a joy to work with them, not only with Project Echelon and with a lot of the major stage races in the country, but just for fun. They are a wonderful couple, and they are incredible people to work with and easy to work with. When Nathan and Morley haven't been there, it's been somebody like Brother Pat. Patrick Daly from the Pacific Northwest, who we worked with when we were working with ButcherBox. He did incredible work, and I really hope that he gets deeper and deeper involved in bike racing again in the United States. You've seen a lot of photos recently done by Ron Short, Our New York correspondent, shall we say, Ron is a legend in bike racing. He is a legend in photography. He cares very deeply about expressing what is happening in this sport, and we've been so thrilled and so just overwhelmed by the capacity to share his photos. You've got men like Kit Carson and Will Nelson who do good work with Legion, and we've been fortunate when we can to share their work. We've also got somebody like Dan Brock from the Southeast, whose work we've been able to share recently this year with the story that we did with Kim Stovild. For two years now, we've worked with Tori Hernandez. We featured her photography when she's come from the Pacific Northwest down to the Redlands races. She goes by Evergreen Photos on Instagram. Check her out. She's got incredible work and she loves and is passionate about bike racing. In the last two weeks, we've gotten so many photos from Trevor Rabb and Steve Kavoric from Easton, Plainfield, and now even with Armed Forces. These guys have been out there doing work for us for years. And I say work for us, the us I'm talking about is all of us, the fans of bike racing, not Rob Kelly and Criterion Nation, but the bike racing community as a whole. This year, I was so excited to get Kent Johnson To help out, Kent is not a professional photographer. He's a friend. He's just a guy who I happened to meet while out riding bikes in California who lives in the Quad Cities. He's just a wonderful person and he goes to the Quad Cities races and he said he would take pictures for us. And by God, we shared them because that's what we do. One of the photos this year that it's touched me more than most was done by Amanda Sarah Cherish. It's a photo of John Stoveld. And Kim Stoveld at the end of the Wilmington Grand Prix, right after Kim had won her race. It's just the two of them. It's just the finish line. They are sharing a moment. It is love between a couple. It is something that is universal, but also it's something that was so deeply emotional that I am beyond honored that I got the opportunity to share it. If you're in the, in the northwestern part of Arkansas, you probably know about Kai Caddy. Kai worked with me and Project Echelon last year down at their camp. He's an uh, incredible and easy to stay with roommate, I'll tell you that much, but we got photos from him from Sonny King this year, including this great one that we shared of Cade after he had won and was wearing the crown. Emily Barrera, I believe that's how we pronounce her name, she goes by Full Shutter Media. She was the photographer that we followed throughout all of Speed Week this year, and she delivered high quality photos in low light conditions. Cannot say enough good things about her and what she does in the Southeast. If you're talking about mid-Atlantic bike racing, Mabra bike racing, Ben Christie, Dominion Cycling Photography. We shared his photos this year from Poolsville, the legendary gravel road race, uh, the Mid-Atlantic's version of Perry roubaix If you're gonna look at photos from the Mid-Atlantic, you're probably gonna look at something that Ben has done. Aurea Media did photos of Celine that we used with the Lifetime Grand Prix docuseries episode. Black Coles also does some amazing work, and I would be remiss if I didn't talk forever about Dan Singer from the St. Louis area, Dan, always there. Gateway Cup weekend does some incredible work. I think he does a lot of really good like high school uh, senior picture types things too, in his portfolio. But but he got photos of me last year in the races at Gateway that literally made me feel like I looked like an athlete. It's a photo from the first night that I looked at, and I was like, I'm proud to be in this image. This photographer made me look good in a rough situation. So thank you, Dan, and your work is incredible. This year, we worked with Shusta, Swooshta images out of the Newport News area. They were one of the photographers who was down there shooting. If you're wondering which photo they did, it's the ones with a lot of... motion in them, but also with like still shots of the sun backdrop or backlighting Kim Stovall. It's a great photo. It's not easy to do and to make look good. So obviously somebody who's got some talent. This is just a part of the list of photographers that we've worked with in the last three years. There are so many more. These are incredible people. They're the ones who are helping tell us our tell our stories. Buy their photos. Support them. Say hi to emit races. My name is Rob Kelly. This is Criterium Nation, a show about life lived one corner at a time. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium network of shows, wideanglepodium.com. Your source for the full Bevy bevy, that is, of shows on the network covering everything from cyclocross and mountain bike to comedy to gravel, because I think there was a big gravel race or something of that nature that happened. I don't know. There's a bazillion photographs on my Instagram feed recently that talk all about Unbound and now are about to talk all about our really great, wonderful race down in Asheville with the Belgian Waffle Ride. So wideanglepodium.com, go there, become a subscriber, become a supporter, help financially support this entirely content creator-owned effort. This is now the 3rd week we have featured our our show sponsor Caldera Lab and their product The Regimen. It is something that I've been using now for 3 full weeks, every day twice a day washing my skin, washing my skin, washing my face, making sure that I apply moisturizer and the icon which is the under eye cream and also using the nighttime serum. I can tell you for sure my face and skin have never looked or felt better. It has been an amazing level of progress. I was going to do a before and after photos and, you know, a little bit of video, but I I just couldn't bring myself to do the before part because I just didn't want to really see it. I have had really dry skin around the area underneath my sunglasses, and it's just, it was flaky and it was disgusting. And I just, I couldn't let it get to me and I didn't want to age as quickly as I was aging. The fine lines and dark circles under the eyes from being a lawyer and being overly stressed and squinting all the time at small print, those were definitely coming in. By using their products, I have noticed and seen a reduction in those fine lines. My eyes are no longer puffy. I I did take a little bit of a vacation and slept in a little bit, but still, I'm still a practicing attorney, so it doesn't really all go away. But the biggest thing that I've seen in using this product has been how even my skin has become from T-zone to cheeks to chin to the neck. It has just become much more uniform in color and texture. There's no more spots of dryness and there's no more redness. It's just a very nice, calm experience. And one thing about Caldera that I have not talked about is its commitment to transparency, its commitment to sustainability and excellence. It is a certified B corporation and I looked this up. Certified B corporation is not anything to do with the tax code or not anything to do with the government, but it is a it is a group of companies that have come together to say that they are committed to doing things better. Creating sustainable products and products that are designed to have social responsibility, and because of Caldera Labs' commitment as a certified B corporation, it is also a member of One Percent for the Fan for the Planet. So you can know that if you are putting your money into their product, not only will your skin look good because the product will help, obviously, but also you're dealing with a company that's socially and ethically responsible for what they're trying to do. It is uncompromising craftsmanship. It's exceptional ingredients and it's rigid rigid, rigorous transparency. Try saying that one three times fast. Caldera labs is here to upgrade your skin and with that upgrading of your skin, your confidence and your mood and everything. I start my days off better right after I wash my face and put on the base layer. It just it feels like just a good clean slate that I'm starting with. So go to Calderalab.com, find what you are looking for, and when you find it, do please use the promo code CRITERIUMNATION, Nation all one word for 20% off your order. So let's get into our episode here. First aired three years ago, but aired again here today and think. Think about how different you were back then and how much things are still the same.
1: My name is Bruce Buckley. I'm a photographer. I, I photograph a lot of different genres, but uh, I have a specialty in sports and a sub-specialty in that, in uh, two-wheeled sports. Bicycles and, in particular.
0: You know, we're here at the bike lane in Reston. We're actually in the vault. Yeah. We're it's... inside an actual bank vault that's we are. been secure location. Photography. This yeah. is your full time gig. Yes. There's different styles of photography. Right. There's the I'm the guy who's gonna go out and take pictures and candids. Mm-hmm. There's the journalism. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna capture the moment. I'm gonna capture life as it happens. And and mm-hmm. there's art all of these things kind of blend together and there's really no clear definition of where they are. But do you agree that photography is a form of art? You know, I struggle with that because I would
1: never refer to myself as an artist. I think there is, and I'm doing finger air quotes, art to what I do. But I think because I come from a journalism background, I'm really wedded to that. And I really see myself more as hopefully a storyteller or kind of documenting moments, capturing moments, trying to be really honest about what it is that I'm documenting at the time. A lot of art is uh, there's a lot of I mean, there's a very wide definition of art, but. You know, I don't really make things out of whole cloth, right, where I just have a creative idea and uh, I make it out of nothing. You know, I just create it. I'm trying to capture something that's real. Now, of course, it's taken from my own vantage point, but I do try to do it in an honest way where I'm I'm trying to pull myself out of it to a certain degree as much as I can to make it really capture what that moment was like. You know, you have what was the feeling in the crowd if there's a crowd there? okay. what is that feeling like? What is that energy like? I want to figure out a way to take that feeling, which is their feeling, not my feeling, and put that into a visual context that I have the racers going through. There's an art to that, I guess. But again, I I wouldn't. I wouldn't consider myself an
0: artist. I just... But there's a, lot I, of, there's a lot of hard work that goes into it. I mean... Sure, but artists work hard. Artisans work hard. Okay.
1: But <laughs> you're, Lots of different people work hard. It's not...
0: I, I'm, I'm not going to force you to call yourself an artist, but I'm going to say that there is a component to the work that you're doing that the normal human who doesn't have the training, who doesn't have this innate talent, they may not be able to do.
1: Okay, that's that might be true. But I would say that it has to do with your eye and how you perceive the world. So, you know, I guess in some ways it's like maybe it could be like art when you have somebody who goes out and they are a landscape painter and they see the world in front of them and they want to very realistically paint it. But that takes an incredible eye in addition to talent to be able to do that. I would say I'm closer to something like that than I am to an abstract artist. (laughs) Have you ever seen... Everything I've learned, i learned from Bob Ross. That's what I'm telling you right now.
0: Have you you ever seen Picasso's earliest works? Sure, of course. They're very realistic, very well-trained, and then he moves into his more blue phases and things like that later on in his life.
1: Right, but that's as he developed his own sort of, quote, voice, right? And his own vision, and he it just evolved over time. That isn't to say that I couldn't do that. I just feel like that's just not really who I am. I'm not trying it's it's a tough battle. I know there's a lot of people who really skewer journalists. But believe it or not, we are taught to really remove ourselves as best we can and try and take an unbiased view of things. So I really do try to kind of keep myself out of it. I, I might see something that excites me, and it's not that I fight it, I just don't want to let it bias what I'm doing. Now, I do a fair amount of creative, what I would say is more creative work. While I'm shooting, I have kind of this 80-20 rule that I do when I'm shooting where I have an assignment, okay, and I have maybe a shot list. I I really need to get the shot list. This is what is required for the job. So I'm going to spend 80% of my time roughly making sure that I get that. And then ideally, if I've done it right, then I have 20% of my time to kind of just try some stuff out, to kind of just explore. And, you know, that's a more creative angle. And so maybe there's an art to that. But
0: How did you find your medium? Because obviously your medium is sport. Yeah. Degas had his ballerinas and Tchaikovsky has minor keys and Hmm. Shakespeare had histories of the Tudors. How did you find cycling?
1: I could relate to it. I was a cyclist from a young age. I did my first races as a junior initially. Well, actually, initial races were road bike. But I, you know, I did I was on like BMX bikes as a kid and then road bikes. And then like most people, I went to college and then I sort of put it away for a while and I came back. But when I came back, I got on mountain bikes and then found cross and the cross is what sort of combined those two things that I love in mountain biking and road in some ways. I you know I think I I gained uh I just gained an appreciation it was my community, right? In some ways it's it's just it's it started just as kind of documenting my community. It's almost like street photography and walking around your neighborhood and just taking pictures of your neighborhood. It kind of evolved from there. And I, I, f- I did feel like a, a connection to it. I felt like I could understand it. You're not required to understand your subject matter. You don't have to be a ballerina to be able to take good. You know, Cause to, Degas was a terrible dancer. Yeah. I, I would assume. Right. I mean, maybe I didn't know enough about Degas. I guess I could take that knowledge and kind of understand how a cyclist might see the world you know i think initially a lot of it had to do with trying to document say the the event the co- the course course features the way that i saw it as i was racing and that maybe other racers who were there could connect to that but yeah that's the way i remember that yeah i remember going through there like that was a, that was an incredible part of the race or this was a really critical part of the race or understanding also that where critical things might happen in a race because it was a it was just a key feature or a big hill or some you know it was at some distance from the finish where everyone was going to make a move or whatever it is so just understanding and being able to anticipate things and that's
0: kind of where that came from but how do you make a passion bike racing into a business of being a photographer i didn't really um
1: straight into the deep end kind of thing. I I took a long path, long walk through the water (laughs) before before I had to start swimming. (laughs) It it just grew over time and it was very organic and I wouldn't change that. I I actually, in looking back on it, I'm really glad it happened that way, even though it took a really long time. It felt like it progressed in the way that it, it was supposed to. Now, I know people are goal oriented and that's fine. But I didn't come into it saying I am going to be this or I'm going to be that. I came into it just um, pretty wide open and willing to try a lot of different things and figure out what worked for me and where my place was and what my strengths were. Not just try to force it like, oh, you know, like maybe there's stuff that I really like about photography. Just because I like it doesn't mean that I'm actually that good at it or it's something that I can really excel at. I, I just sort of figured it out. I just kind of figured out on my own, like what worked for me, what I could do, what my limitations were, what I was weak at, what I was stronger at, and then just make it organic and then follow the opportunities. So from a business standpoint, it was meet a person, work for them, do a great job, get a recommendation to go work for somebody else. Where it starts to go around, then I get another job, and another job, and another job, and then it just goes down the line, and then you have built a business over time. Like I said, I didn't start with a plan. Who I am right now, there is no way who I am right now is what would have been my business plan (laughs) when I started. I would not have thought that, like, who I am or what I do and who my clients are, I would never have thought that at that time. That's not who I thought.
0: You've managed to stay relevant and not just you, but photography as a whole, when it comes down to sport, have managed to stay relevant in this era of live stream and videos. How is it the case that photography is still relevant and still relished and still lucrative enough to get you to fly to Washington State, to California, to go to Hartford, to go to Louisville, you know, to go all over the place for this job?
1: Well, let's look at it this way. You're on Instagram? I'm on Instagram. What do you like about Instagram
0: colorful, wonderful pictures of cats.
1: Okay, that's great. Or bikes and bikes probably too, yeah. right? Among the social media platforms, I, I think that we could say Instagram was a success. People like that. I think people want photography. I, we have, not to say there isn't video there too, but I, you know it's still predominantly photography. You know photography is just different. I, it, sure, we have live streams and we have video. But photography remains what it has always been. You are freezing, literally, a moment, right? It gives you a chance to slow down. I don't know about you, but I am bombarded constantly (laughs) with things. My entire life is like multitasking. There's just a million things. To slow down, to stop time, and to appreciate a moment I think that people can still relate to that, despite the fact that we are required to have brains that can accommodate five things at once. I think that when we allow ourselves to have that moment to look at that photo, I think we really want that. I think people still want that. It is time to appreciate something. It's not fleeting. It's as long as you want it to be. You can scroll right by it on your Instagram feed, okay? or you could buy that photo, and you could have it on your wall, and you could look at it every day. It's just very different than video. It's like so. Let's take an example. The most classic, I guess, like finish lines, a road race finish, coming at you at thirty-five, maybe forty-ish miles an hour. Right? It's a lot going on. There's a lot going on, especially when they're coming right at you. Honestly, you don't even. Sometimes you don't even know who's actually going to win until they throw their hands up because it sort of looks flat as it's coming at. You. It's hard to see what exactly is happening. It's thrilling in the sense that. You feel the speed of it. You, you see like, oh my gosh, these guys are just thundering herd coming at us. I mean, I, you can really appreciate how hard this effort is. But you can't really break it down and kind of understand what all was happening in that time. Because it's just, there's so much that's going on and it's gone in a in an instant. Photography gives you that chance to really take a look, really see. Like, so maybe somebody was moving in on someone's line and you actually have a photo of their their two tires, front tires, are literally touching and someone's or somebody's leaning on somebody in a sprint or, and you can see their facial expressions. You're not going to see their facial expressions in a video, probably. Now, we do have slow-mo video. Why do you think we have slow-mo video? Probably because people wanted to see the things that they were missing. Exactly. So I think that's sort of video's answer to what photography does is, is to slow it down. You want to talk about, like the thrill of sport or just raw emotion i mean somebody you know winning in a sprint and that look on their face when they come across and you just see that ah, is raw typically just raw emotion because they are just at their limit and they have done this thing you seize that image of what that looks like on video it's it's gone before you can even process
0: it does raw emotion still exist in professional sport or is it staged?
1: Oh, no, it definitely exists. Oh, my gosh. I would say all you need to do is go to a really, really hard race and just go to the finish. It's funny. In a in a race, I don't feel like I see a ton of it. Usually, if somebody's showing a lot of emotion, maybe pain or something, it's probably because they're in distress, like something's, this is not going well. Somebody who is... is really like leading a race you know having a good day they're probably pretty stone-faced or they look relaxed or that you don't get it's a focus thing right I mean so that's the thing is is I don't think that it's there's no emotion I think that I mean you understand that you you're racing and you you're in the zone or whatever you want to call it right I mean you're just focused the case of like road racing, you don't want to show a lot of emotion. You probably don't want to let people know you're tired if you're tired, right? You don't want to give anything away. You want to be poker face the whole time, right? But at the finish line, now the finish line is very different. I mean, finish is where you you've just given everything to get there, right? And it's actually one of the places where you know you talk about emotion and photos, like in sport, uh, you know, cyclocross races for example, that I shoot, you know, they roll across and of course they're on grass or something like that. And they will quite often just collapse. And you see this, of course, in road races too, like uh, Hilltop Finishes, for example, are really classic for that, right? The rider who just collapses to the ground and they have just given everything. And I would say some of the photos I've taken that show the most raw emotion are those people who have just put everything they had out there and they are just having a moment to finally let it all hit them, whether that's thrill or pain or despair, whatever the emotion might be at that time. It's um, it can be extremely raw right after a finish, and I think that is what what really um, what really proves that yeah that that does that does still exist.
0: Chapter 2, Characters Shakespeare's famous all the world's a stage, and we are but merely actors who play our part line aside. Sometimes, to get our various roles done, we have to change who we are. We have to become a character. Whether it's the quiet person suddenly becoming an extrovert, or vice versa, sometimes moments in life demand something from us that is different than who we normally are. In his world of sports photography, is there a part of Bruce that requires an alter ego? Let's switch gears away from the person in front of the camera to the person behind the camera. Okay. You play different characters as a photographer. This is my theory. You know, I think, and most of the people listening to this podcast know that my dad was a portrait photographer for Mm -hmm. 40 years. I live down the hall from a woman named Krista Rossow, who was a National Geographic photographer. Mm -hmm. She goes and does incredible, just lifestyle portraits of people. Mm. And so her approach to the way that she would do this, is she would try to make herself as much a part of the background as possible so that she could get people being real. Correct. Whereas you take my dad, who was 180 degrees opposite, the best compliment I think he was ever given by one of his clients was, Kelly, you are just obnoxious enough to get the job done. (laughs) And they sent him to Tokyo to do pictures for the company. And so he would get, you know, he was l- larger than life when he was taking pictures. As a sports photographer, and I'm not talking about the guy who's taking pictures just during the course of the race, but after <clears> the <throat> fact, when you're catching the real life and the interactions of the athletes, do you play a character or is it all just Bruce Buckley?
1: Do I play a character? I don't really, uh, I don't really have a need to play a character I really try to let it play out. Some of that is because we're all doing a job, right? I mean, at least at the pro level, I just need to let these guys do their job. I don't need to interfere with that. I think that if I inject myself too much into it, then I'm actually, uh, I'm interfering with their work. Ultimately, it's best to let them be real. There's been times when I'm trying to get you know, a good angle, and I can't quite get it. And um, I might move a person next to me who's not the athlete. I might give him a little tap, see if I can kind of squeeze in. But I really don't want to interfere with the athlete, you know. And I'm not going to move somebody out who's like, it's or somebody who really needs to be there for the athlete. I'm just saying, you know.
0: You're thinking about the infamous scrum picture of you at the start of a, it was a cross World Cup race. Yeah. And... You're down all the other photographers are up top, but you you're down like on the ground. Mm -hmm. And I don't remember if it was Matthew Vanderpoel or who was the rider was the only person who was called up at the time. Right. But you were so far removed from everybody else that it felt like you were shooting a different world.
1: Well, I just looked around and saw what everybody else was doing and said, well, they're doing that. So I'm going to do something different because I don't want to take the same picture that they did. So I just did something different. I probably, before that moment, was sitting up doing the exact same thing they did, and then re- I looked around and realized, okay, we've got 15 people taking a pretty similar shot here. I'm going to try and just do something a little different. But that was, again, I mean, we all just kind of, yeah, for a scrum, I mean, we just all kind of get in our spots, and we respect each other. We're not going to move and bump each other around. And um, So the scrum is not a crit? No. No. <laughs> We have a, a, a good rapport, and everyone. We say this even though it's sort of unspoken, we say it anyways. We'll get to a finish line. Everybody who gets in their spot, we'll all turn around and say, Okay, you're not going to stand up, right? Everyone, you're going to stay right where you are. You're going to stay kneel down. You're going to stay standing. We're not going to run over, right? Everyone's okay. We're all in agreement.
0: <laughs> as long as Bill <laughs> Shaikin's standing in the back because he clearly Bill's doesn't have to worry about yeah. anything,
1: you know, and, and I usually just get on the ground in the front. it's much easier for me. <laughs> the opposite problem from well it's not problem, I guess for Bill, but <laughs> do you
0: do you find that the athletes who you are taking pictures of and photographing, do you find that they fit the mold for the stereotypes that their sports seem to claim or are the athletes just uniquely human? And the, the stereotypes are something that we in the meme world throw on them?
1: Oh, no, I don't believe any of those stereotypes. I mean, I think that, yeah, there's some common factors, I guess. But man, there are really diverse groups of people who, who do what we do. Let's be honest. In this particular um, set of sports that we do and what I'm talking about, how many people that's just what they do? That's all they do. How many people is it? They, they, they don't have any other job. I mean, a lot of them have other jobs, right? <laughs> yeah. A lot of them. Domestic pros, they have to have other jobs. So they're not in some kind of athlete bubble that you might expect from a lot of ball sports, for example. Your average domestic pro and even better than average domestic pro can't, can't just survive on their cycling earnings, right? So anyway, that keeps you pretty grounded in being a real person, I think. And then what you find is that, why I say they don't all have a stereotype. Yeah, okay, they all have a similar interest in, in this sport. But they're very diverse people. I mean, you will get people who are, they work at bike shops. They're, they work in the bike industry. Makes total sense. That's pretty easy. And then you have people who are, like, scientists.
0: Yes. <laughs> I've I've come to learn that a young man named Spencer... Movenzada is probably one of the smartest human beings that you will ever meet, and he's twenty, like three years old or twenty-four years old. The Duke student, already has patents. Yes. is His name, and he's just riding a bike.
1: They're brilliant people who will throw themselves around a corner in a downtown <laughs> at forty miles an hour <laughs> in, in their underwear. Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> for, for, but i'm saying it's like we do have some really really like it's 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 just it's funny you know the sport these sports that we cover but there are are all sorts of people that that are i mean it's a very very wide spectrum of people
0: you were talking about 80 20 let's put it like that sure 80 percent of the time that you need to get what you need to get from the client or for the client sure and the 20 percent of the time that you know this is kind of more the fun stuff yeah, You know, the experimental stuff. Yeah, but which is not
1: just for me. I mean, that's for, still for the client. I might come up with something that's not on the shop plan and say, hey, I know you didn't ask for this, but I really like this image. Take it or leave it. I mean, you, you, it's yours. And quite often it works out
0: great. But let's talk about when things just go wrong. Oh, that never happens. That never happens. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> no, it clearly never happens. And this right. is this is probably my favorite story that I have from my father. So, Bob Hope, famous comedian, USO, sure. legend, probably at the pinnacle of his fame. So, mm. the pinnacle of his legend. So, you know, he grew up in fame in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, but by the time he got to the 80s, mm. now he's a legend, like Johnny Carson style legend. Right. And his great nemesis was Milton Berle. Sure. So my father was called in to do a corporate meet and greet with Bob Hope right? and these corporate bigwigs from a local Chicago company. Hope flies in at O'Hare. They meet him there at O'Hare. And it's like an eighth grade dance. All the boys (laughs) on one side, all the girls on the other side. Nobody's talking. (laughs) Bob Hope's got the golf club on his shoulder. Like it is stereotype. And it was so quiet and so awkward. And all the suits are looking at each other. And my dad, the introvert that he was every single moment of his life until he got the camera in his hand, just screams out, Hey, Uncle Milty, in reference to Milton yeah. Burrow. Oh, no, that's what they called him. Yes. Yeah. And all the suits just like jaws on the ground. They all went pale. Bob Hope walks over to my dad and goes, Son, whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Is That's there, the ultimate icebreaker. That's great. Is there is
0: there a Bruce Buckley, everything's going wrong, but I'm going to pull it out of the hat and make it go right?
1: I wouldn't probably do it in an Uncle Milty exclamation
0: type
1: of <laughs> way. People who know me, Bill could definitely back me up on this. I mean, I really plan a lot. I do a lot of planning, tons of pre-event planning. Sort of the joke I make, which is, really kind of true in a way is like plan 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 and then when none of that works improvise and, and that last option I, does I, does I, happen i've it does read that happen.
0: quote somewhere and i, I don't, don't know, know if that
1: came from somebody else but that's what i <laughs> i do that
0: <laughs> but you a lot you course walk correct you come to the amateur races before the big event yes you take test shots. Right. But I I swear there's got to be a situation where, you know, no plan survives first contact with the enemy. Sure.
1: So, but here's the thing, like the way I look at it is if I come in with a plan, I feel relaxed. I feel prepared. I do know where everything is. It's not like I'm uninformed. It's just that something didn't work out. So, now, if I have to improvise, I'm not just scrambling around something I know nothing about. I at least know this this course. I know this environment I'll figure something out. I'll figure something out. I'm starting from a place of calm so that if something doesn't work out and then I kind of get you know a little anxious, it it won't be an over it won't be overwhelming. I won't be like anxiety stricken. I will I honestly, I don't know what it is. I do have a piece of me who just sort of insight on who I am. I tend to. Little things will sometimes bother me and I'll kind of just <laughs> gripe about little things. Big things don't bother me. I go to a calm place when big things happen. But I have a I have this thing with little things. I if it it bothers me, it's just a quick little, you know, I get it out, whatever bothers me. It's like a little firecracker, it just goes off. Done. No big explosion. We're done with it. Big things. I, for whatever reason, it's just my personality. I just go to a calmer place, and I push through it. I don't. I don't know why.
0: Chapter three: Comfort. When it comes to good quality imagery, it's important to make sure that both the person in front of the camera and behind it are on the same page and are ultimately comfortable with the process. This is why having a solid relationship with your content creators is so critical, but that takes time and commitment. However, the end result can be something brilliant. Tell me about this one concept that Lindsay Goldman and I talked about when she was on there. She obviously, as the former GM and owner of Superman, Hoggins Berman, hired Snowy Mountain Photography to mm-hmm. come around with her. I've come to learn Butcherbox does a similar thing and they've mm-hmm. hired uh, Patrick Daly or Adam Koble. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There are a bunch of other companies that have created this relationship with a photographer or photography outfit mm-hmm. to go with them. Is there value in establishing long term relationships between teams? Mm-hmm. And the people providing the media for the team.
1: Yeah, of course, absolutely. Now there's a there's a whole bunch of reasons for doing it. I mean, one of the things you hire a professional because there's a certain there's a there's an amount of certainty that goes with it. You know what you're getting. There's a certain amount of logistics that uh, works well. I don't need to go get a new photographer for every city that I go to, right? And they're reliable, and I know that they'll deliver. And there's also that working relationship that's very important, which is. I know they'll deliver. I know that I'm going to get the, I'm going to get a certain number of images on Monday morning, and then I'm going to get the rest on Tuesday, whatever it is, you know, there's just a way they work. You can take the way they work and build that into your own workflow for, okay, this is how the way they work. And this is how it fits in with my social media, for example, and how I roll things out. So there's a lot of that. But then there's also the very critical piece, which is the riders getting comfortable with having these photographers around.
0: How do you do that? That's that's a huge question for me as somebody who's going to go out there and do podcasting with riders. Sure. Getting them comfortable with the idea of being themselves around somebody who's capturing an image or capturing an audio with them. Right. How do you do that?
1: It can take some time to build a relationship and other times it's, it comes quickly. But first of all, it starts from staying back. And just pulling back, letting them be themselves, letting them understand that I am not i am not entering their world. I am not trying to affect their world. I'm trying to let them be themselves. I'm going to be over here. Might be a little awkward at first because you don't know me, but you'll see the images that result from it. And hopefully you like them. <laughs> and then you see what I'm doing. You understand why I do what I do. And hopefully you don't notice me a lot. I mean, and... I think this is one of the reasons why I, when you're talking about an artist before, like, I don't, I don't see myself that way because I feel like an artist wants to put themselves so much into their work. And, and I pull, that's another example. I'm trying to pull myself out. I don't want to, I don't want to be a part of what I'm documenting. I can't. That would just sort of sully what I'm documenting. You know, I, I just need to let it be real. And I want to sit back and observe it, and be honest in my observation, and let them be themselves. Sometimes it's annoying because I make little clicky sounds with my camera, but that's about as intrusive as it gets. Hopefully, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. It, it takes a while. It's hard with athletes because you know so many athletes have routines. They really, really they have to go through a certain routine to get comfortable before a race, and you just don't want to. You just don't want to mess with that. In some ways, I think of it like can you imagine if you had a team mechanic or you didn't have a team mechanic you had to get a new mechanic at, in every city
0: it would drive you nuts because you would never have well, i mean i've got sram access now so mm-hmm. it's it's pretty dialed in but <laughs> ooh nice plug i know
1: <laughs> right and but you have you want your bike dialed a certain way you expect that when you jump on it it's going to be set up in a certain way. There's a certain way that you like it. That's for road. That's for anything. I mean, you know, mountain bike and, and cross, I mean, like tire pressures and all the, which tires you're using all the other, there's a lot of these other factors that are really, really, really important. But anyway, my point is like, can you imagine like they don't know you, they don't understand your preferences. So it's a, that's part of why I think you would want to have somebody you're familiar with. You're familiar with how they work. They are familiar with you and how you work. Get that familiarity. You also can anticipate things. Okay, I know what your routine is now, right? So I know how to follow you in a way that lets you do your routine and I can capture it in an authentic way because... I anticipate you're gonna go here first and then there. And I know that I wanna get it from this angle because it will really capture it best, et cetera, et cetera.
0: So let's talk about a big difference between road and cross or road and mountain bike. Right. Uh, aside from the knobby tires. Okay. And a lot more beer and cyclocross than there is in mm. road. Yeah. Way more whiskey and road. True. So well then
1: got some whiskey and anyway. Okay. It's in a whole other podcast. <laughs>
0: So, one of the things about cyclocross in reading your Cross Magazine article, you know, you wanted to capture your athletes, your clients, individually. Sure. That's a goal. You don't want any other advertising. You want to focus on that one guy, that one girl. Mm -hmm. Road racing, you're almost never by yourself. Right. Especially if it's criterium racing. Because if you're by yourself, there's probably a problem. Sure. As opposed to you being off the front alone. Sure. So, when you're photographing crits and road races. How do you make sure that you're capturing that clean image for your client?
1: It's one of the reasons why crits are great. You get a lot of bites at the apple.
0: (laughs) Especially armed forces. Armed forces
1: is great. They're going to come around a hundred times. Like, excellent. I'm probably going to get a few shots of this person. Now, there's some anticipation. There's some amount of, you know, you can't just have your dominant eye in the eye cup the whole time. Because your field of view is very limited, I quite often have both eyes open, even though only one is in the eye cup. I'm not a, a back of the LCD uh, person. I still want to have my eye against the camera, and part of that is I like to have my other eye also looking forward. So I might be, I might have you know a zoom lens, which is probably what I would have, so I can get close to the action. But with my that's not in in the camera I can see wider and I can kind of pick people out because you know things will come into field of view and you will miss it if you are just totally living in your camera so I do a lot of like trying to identify people as they're coming at me to make sure that I I get them frankly it is a there's a of course there's a lot of spray and pray (laughs) at some point because you're doing your best that is a place where good equipment does help i'm not a big equipment guy that's true you love your cannons but i'm not big on equipment i i I, but yes i do i do want to have reliable uh equipment that uh, if i really get into a situation where it's like man i have just not found this rider i'm gonna have to spray this crowd to get this rider and then
0: i'm always on the outside
1: that's I've noticed weird. that and you, you can actually pick. That is another thing for sure. You can pick up on the habits of people. And if you know riders and you are that team's photographer, you really begin to pick up on that, their, what their habits are. Who is it who typically would be the one who is going to be on the front with 10 to go? Who is going to be? It's always the same two or three people you know, on this team,
0: whatever it is. So I've got two questions for you. Two more questions. The okay. first one, one's easy, one's hard. Great. Which one do you want?
1: Uh, let me take a sip first. Okay. <laughs> mm. All right,
0: we'll
1: finish, finish hard. Go ahead. E- right. e- easy question.
0: What is this delicious beer that we've been drinking here at the bike lane? Oh,
1: this is called Ride or Die because it is a Rye IPA.
0: It's Got a little bit darker color. It's That's the rye. A, yes, okay. it's excellent. Yeah. So, yeah,
1: this location, they opened this location up. The owner it was a home brewer, fantastic brewer, just saw this as an opportunity to have a little cafe. And then someone said, why don't you put your beers in there? And they're fantastic. And dangerously
0: place yourself close to the bike path.
1: They are right off the bike path. Exactly. Yeah, a lot of them are dangerously uh, crushable beers. <laughs> so, like, if you've been on the path and you're kind of tired, it's uh, easy to down one of these beers pretty quickly. But anyways, a yeah. bike lane brewery is, brewing, uh, brewery is very good. Yeah.
0: So the hard question. Sure. Time is of the essence. So much of your job as a photographer is time-based. Right. And we think that the hard part is capturing the images. Mm-hmm. Your job doesn't really even begin until after the images are captured. Right. How exhausting is it to be at these events doing your work? For me, the, the
1: last part is always the hardest part. There's a lot of reasons for that. But I would say that, in part, it's because, like, I mean, one of the reasons I really like covering races You know, in addition to, I do other photography, you know, I do other event photography, for example, and corporate photography and all kinds of other photography. Events, some people kind of just like, ooh, events, event photography, you know, they kind of stick up their nose at it. I love it, but it fits me in part because I'm I'm a, a classic extrovert, where if you know the sort of introvert versus extrovert thing introverts get into a social situation and it saps all of the energy out of them extroverts get into a social situation and it and it recharges them with energy and i am way far on the extrovert side so i go into these events with a lot of energy and it's part of why i love it so much um i'm just extremely passionate about it and i probably just frankly like on a natural high at that point. But then you come to the end, all the dies down. And now I got to go back uh, to my hotel room or wherever it is I'm staying. It's just me and the computer. Somebody like Bill might be over sitting (laughs) at the desk next to me, or we might be in a, we might be in a media room, but I'm really kind of alone with my work at that time. And you can imagine coming off of the high, the literal high of this event with that. I that I, very legitimately feel a high at these events and then it just comes crashing down on you and, it, and it's it's hard you really mm-hmm. have to push through that part of it or i i do but yeah for a race that uh, you know let's say in cyclocross uh it's a one hour men's race and a 40 to 50 minute women's race and then i'm going to spend many more hours than that working on those files
0: finding wi-fi is the most important thing Yeah. Okay. You've read that article. Yeah. That is the number one thing I have trouble
1: with. And that is actually a planning thing. I try to figure out ahead of time where I'm going to find good Wi-Fi. Wi-Fi is like the difference between being up for a few hours and being up all night.
0: So the dangerous thing is whenever a lawyer tells you they only have one or two questions... They never have one or two questions. That's fine. But I
1: promise that was. I'm glad you got the beer question. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate that. It's a good plug for the for the bike shop who's been very kind to host us here.
0: (laughs) They have they have been. This is we are one Abby Mickey away from a cycling tips podcast right here. Oh perfect. So if people want to find out more about you, website, Instagram. Where's the best place to find more about Bruce Buckley? I mostly
1: point people to Instagram at this point. I think it's just turned out to be the best vehicle for me. It's sort of a really updated portfolio of what I do. It's the most accurate, most up to date. So uh, Bruce underscore Buckley is where you'd find me there. I'm on. Twitter, uh, B Buckley photo. I'm not extremely active on Twitter, <laughs> but it's a good way to at least connect to some of my work. I just feel like Instagram is the best way. And I, I it's BruceBuckleyPhotography.com is my website, but, you know, it's a website. They're a little bit more static. I still think that Instagram is the best way, at least for me, to kind of keep up to date with what I'm doing, see the latest of what I'm doing.
0: Well, that's where we'll push everybody. Sounds good. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the show. We are a proud part of the Wide Angle Podium Network of Shows. Today's episode was written, produced, and edited by me, with special thanks to our guest, of course, Bruce Buckley, who I talk to on a really regular basis, even three years later. So really great to share this again. We'll be back again next week with a new, a brand new episode featuring Ricky Arnopel, in which we ask him just to do what he does. Or more importantly, you do you. See you again here next week for more stories from our Criterium Nation.